When you're in the market for a new car, you want a vehicle that conquers your daily commute, easily handles the elements, and looks great too. You need the reliability of a Toyota and the confidence that your investment will last. Why? Because after all the carpools, shopping trips, and weekends out, you want a car that still has plenty of miles left in it and holds its value for a great trade-in deal. That's where Toyota leads the pack as the number one resale value brand for 2024, according to Kelly Blue Book's KBB.com. So check out the all-new, fully redesigned 2025 Camry or test drive a stylish and affordable Corolla sedan or hatchback. And remember, when you choose Toyota, you're not just buying a car for today, you're investing in trade-in value for tomorrow. Visit buyatoyota.com, the official website for deals, for more. Vehicles projected resale value is specific to the 2024 model year. For more information, visit kellybluebookskbb.com. Kelly Blue Book is a registered trademark of Kelly Blue Book Company, Incorporated. Toyota, let's go places. Is your child struggling with a specific subject or need help with homework? Are they asking questions that you're not sure you can fully answer? IXL Learning is an online learning program for kids. It covers math, language arts, science, and social studies. IXL is designed. This program will improve your kids' grades. Studies done in almost every state in the country. The kids who had IXL are consistently doing better. Powered by advanced algorithms, IXL gives the right help to each kid no matter the age or personality. And it doesn't have to eat up all your time time. One subscription gets you everything for all the kids in your home, pre-K to 12th grade. So don't miss out. One in four students in the U.S. are learning with IXL. IXL is used in 95 of the top 100 school districts in the U.S. Make an impact on your child's learning. Get IXL now. And listeners can get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when they sign up today at IXL.com audio. Visit IXL.com audio to get the most effective learning program out there at the best price. Hello and welcome to Happier, a podcast that gives you ideas and tips for how to be happier. This week, we'll talk about why you should stop apologizing and why it's useful to think about whether you prefer variety or familiarity. I'm Gretchen Rubin, a writer who studies happiness, good habits, and human nature. I'm in New York City, and with me in spirit is my sister, Elizabeth Kraft, who is no longer here with me in New York City. And even though I rarely got to see her when she was here, I really liked knowing that she was nearby. Oh, thanks, Gretchen. <laughs> That's me, Elizabeth Kraft, a TV writer and producer living in L.A. And Gretch, now that I'm back home, I can report there's a leaf blower outside my window, <laughs> which never happens in New York. Yeah, both cities have their sound, their loud sound problems, but leaf blower is not one of the New York City sounds. Yeah. <laughs> so how is it to be back home? It is so great. I mean, you know, I barely got to see Jack during those five weeks. So coming home to him was just like euphoria. Oh, uh, yeah, really. I mean, just um, I missed him so much and Adam. But of course, it's just a different <laughs> missing yeah. your child is different from missing your husband. But one good thing about being in New York for so long was truly, I think it cured me of my burning desire to move back to New York. Oh, like every, yeah, 
Every time I'm in New York, I'm like, I just want to move back here. Why do I live in LA? I should live in New York. And then, but being there for five weeks, I was like, eh, LA is pretty good. Really? Yeah. Because you went, you went to Columbia. So you, and you lived here for a couple of years after college. So, and you were a real New York City person. Yeah, I was there nine years and I thought I'd be there forever. And then I moved to LA to get into TV writing. But I think it's just, you know, you the weather for one, you yeah. know, you, I love the LA weather and just you used to having more space. And after a while, it just felt a little bit oppressive. <laughs> All the buildings and concrete, you know, right. And then not, not, not nearly as much plants. No, not, not so green. So anyway, that was a side benefit. I have to say, I feel more settled where I am, even though, yes, I have been here almost 20 years. I I just feel like okay now I really live here and I don't need to think about going back to New York. Well, that's a major that's like in terms of happiness, that's a real benefit to feel like I am where I want to be. It's not like there's some other path that I wish that I were on. I'm I'm where I want to be. That's that's a huge that's a huge thing. Yeah, huge benefit. So now um, I'm settled in LA. I'm happy, and now we're in post on the pilot. So that's its own other beast. Uh huh. Another fresh hell. Um, yeah. um, but so you have uh, the try this at home tip for us this week. What what it, what was it uh, that you want to suggest? This week, my try this at home is stop apologizing. Ooh, now, is this is this something you suffer from yourself or that you suffer when other people are, are apologizing over apologizing? Well, you know, it comes from um, I think it's more something I recognize in other people. I may do it if I do. I'm kind of, you know, it's unconscious, but I've noticed that there's a lot of people who feel the need to just, it's like they're apologizing for being alive. You know, Mm. it's like they just go through life constantly saying, oh, I'm sorry I did this. I'm sorry I did this. I'm sorry I, you know, interrupted you during dinner. I'm sorry I um, didn't bring the right treats. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. And it makes, just kind of makes me sad because I feel like, for example, a friend who is just a wonderful person. She'll do anything for you. She's a lot of fun, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But she always is feeling bad about whatever she just said or done. And I feel like if we moved through life, just not apologizing for things that don't need to be apologized for, we'd be happier. What What do you think? Uh, I think it's a good point. I think in a way it feels needy to other people and like now I have to manage your bad feelings. And so if it doesn't maybe put them in the right frame of mind, you're trying to apologize, but then they become kind of almost resentful of your apologizing. Like, And, and I feel that I wow. think I probably under apologize um, because I'm kind of a bad mixture of being impatient and absent minded. And, <laughs> and so I think I probably should apologize more. But I do have this aspect of being an upholder. You know, I've talked many times about how I'm an upholder. And upholders never want to do anything wrong. Mm. And so I think sometimes as an upholder, I over-apologize as a way to kind of make excuses for myself because I don't want to be seen to be in the wrong. And this just happened today. So we're in this temporary studio, as you know, like in the Garment District Mm. of all places um, in New York City. And so I came in and I didn't know where Henry was. So I was looking for Henry. And I saw the studio where we'd been before. And then there was this door that didn't look like a studio door. So I opened it. Well, it was a studio door. Uh And there were like three people in there recording, like full headphones, microphones, everything. So I quickly shut the door. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, I hope I didn't just like bust into their like key moment, you know, and like create. They're interviewing Hillary Clinton. And you're like, hello, Henry. (laughs) Exactly. 
So I didn't apologize right then because clearly it was inappropriate. But then I saw them all out in the hallway and they were deep in conversation. And part of me was like, I should go up there and like really apologize and explain like it wasn't really labeled properly. And there wasn't a window on the door the way there is on the other one. And I'm, you know, blah, 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 blah. And I'm not really at fault. It's really somebody else's fault that I made this mistake. And I'm like, they don't care. It's like insofar as I inconvenience them, done's done. They're never going to see me again. Like, why would I interrupt their animated conversation just to try to like somehow in some kind of you know, heavenly register of wrongs done that I as an upholder am very <laughs> aware of want to clear my name. There's no point to that. It's just for me. It's not for them. Yeah, I think you're so right. I do think it's a burden to other people. I hadn't even thought of it that way. I'd only thought about it in terms of that person just feeling bad about yeah. themselves unnecessarily seems to me like not a good way to go through the day. But you're right. Because just the fact that I'm even thinking this, of this as a try this at home, because I experience it, shows that it is kind of a burden to the people you're apologizing to. Because I'll sit there and then feel bad, like, oh, this this person is feeling bad that, you know, they asked me what they then decided was too personal of a question. So I need to reassure yes. her it wasn't a personal question and that it was fine to ask me that. And what, you know, and so it cre- creates this dynamic of um, need on both sides. And I don't know why people do it. It occurs to me that maybe part of what it is, or, or maybe a way to stop that cycle of the person apologizing and you reassuring, and then they keep apologizing, and then, it, you know, it kind of goes on for a while and feels tiresome. It, it feels exhausting for both people, is maybe this idea which... I think works in a lot of situations, which is acknowledge the reality of other people's feelings. And so maybe part of it is when we try to reassure people, we often say like, oh, it doesn't matter or, oh, forget it. But that's not reassuring to them because they don't know that you really understand how they feel. So maybe it's better to kind of rephrase and acknowledge that you understand how they're feeling. Like you could say something like, oh, man, I know how it feels like when you you forget to bring something to the class party. You feel so terrible. But there is so much food here. The children won't even notice that you didn't bring anything. So it's sort of like, I recognize that you do feel bad and why you feel bad. And like, I know I would feel bad in that same situation. So now we can move on. Because I think sometimes by just telling people to forget it, then they're like, but I can't forget right. it because I might have hurt your feelings or I might have upset you. And you need to say like, oh, gosh, I know that feeling. Like when you ask one question too many, you know, I know that feeling, but you know, it's really no big, I don't know if that would help with a person. I think that's a great idea. I think that would, that could at least, if it doesn't even, if it doesn't stop the initial apology, it at least stops the cycle right there on the spot. Yeah. So it's like apologize, then make the person feel better, then it's done. Well, and I I quoted Jamie because he had this magic line in an email to reassure somebody. And I use this now all the time. I rip him off, which is, we've all done it. Yeah. Because I feel like that's reassuring to people when you're like, you know, it's a mistake, but we've all done it. It's like, it's not that big a deal. Henry and I were talking about this um, earlier, and he had some really interesting insights into into this uh, apologizing. So, Henry, what what are you thinking? Yeah, actually... I actually have three things that I wanted to bring oh, up. Oh, he, act- <laughs> he actually made notes wow. on his phone. Okay, what is, okay, um, let's hear it. an upholder. <laughs> yeah, um, the first thing that I wanted to say is sometimes when you apologize, you end up then just calling more attention to a mistake yes. that no one else would have even noticed. Yes. Like, yes. I do think it's right to own up to mistakes if they're valid. But, yes. Um, if no one's noticing that you're like sneezing in the middle of a speech, don't like stand up and say sorry for sneezing yeah. in the middle yeah. of your speech. Yeah. Um, <laughs> the next thing is oftentimes a thank you will suffice better than an apology. Like if you go home after a long day 
at work and you're talking to your friend or your roommate and you're venting, at the end of it, don't say, oh, I'm so sorry, I just vented to you for 20 minutes. Say, thank you for letting me vent to you. Ah. People confuse that a lot, and I think oh. it's a great way to avoid the... And we just had a great example of this because we were in the other studio and we had to move, Elizabeth, because you were on in this studio. And so Henry said, and he's like, instead of saying, I'm sorry you have to move, I'm going to say, thank you for being flexible. I was like, yes. Oh, <laughs> that is genius. Yeah, I this love is that. subtle, subtle, but important. Um, and then the last thing, which kind of undermines what we're saying, but I think we all agree <laughs> is that there are often times when a really good apology is warranted. Yes. And there's nothing worse than a bad apology <gasps> when a really good apology is necessary. That Very is so true. true. Very true. We need to have a whole thing where we talk about apologies because I have a lot of thoughts about apologies. Me too. I'll come back for that one. Yes, because a good apology that is well warranted can change your life and a bad apology that is frustrating can make you feel so much more angry than you did before. It's so, like dangerous. For the sake of these good apologies, don't cheapen them with your bad apologies. Yes. Let's get rid of those. <laughs> yes. No, uh, Stop just apologize when needed and, you know, in a heartfelt manner and let's just forget all this. But it reminds me, Gretch, of the you know, the Real Housewives franchises. Yes. All of them, it's always, apologizing is always a, to a top issue. Like, Interesting. they're always arguing over whether an apology was real or fake and whether someone is, like, there are certain people who refuse to apologize. Um, so it is a hot button topic in general. Ooh. Yeah, well, so let us know if you tried this at home, stop apologizing, or kind of your thoughts around this issue, because it, it feels like it's really rich, and there's a lot going on in terms of why people are apologizing, or why it feels like they're over-apologizing, or why we feel the need to apologize when maybe it's not a really an apology situation. Contact us, Twitter, Facebook, drop us an email, podcast at GretchenRubin.com, or as always, you can go to my website, um, this is episode 61, so it's happiercast.com slash 61. Um, and I feel, this side note, um, I feel like I don't say enough that there's like, I always try to put a lot of like cool stuff on the um, blog on the day for the episode. So like, you know, Elizabeth, for, I had all these pictures that I, I took last week. Um for the one about being when we were on the sound stage with you and we sort of didn't mention on the podcast like if you want to see pictures of all this stuff go to the website um so a lot of times there's links and other kind of um additional bonus material on the website so check that out if you're curious to follow up um, on stuff that we've talked about there are some stories about our father's life that i truly never get tired of hearing from hilarious to heartfelt tear jerking to plot twisting his retelling of the events always brings me joy just in time for father's day i found the perfect gift that captures all his stories for our family forever it's called StoryWorth. StoryWorth helps you preserve precious memories and stories from your father or father figure's life for years to come and Gretsch, you get a book of all these stories. And I love just keeping a book on the coffee table and anyone from any generation can see a story from dad, like what was his favorite toy or what was his first job? Each week, StoryWorth emails your loved one a thought-provoking question that you get to help pick. Give all the fathers in your life a unique, heartfelt gift you'll all cherish for years. StoryWorth. Right now, save $10 on your first purchase when you go to StoryWorth.com happier. That's StoryWorth.com happier to save $10 on your first purchase. So, Elizabeth, here's a question to help you know yourself better. And that is, do you prefer variety 
or familiarity. What are some examples? Okay. So, like, um, do you – I re- this just came up in my life because um, every spring break for, like, the last, I don't know, like, 14 years, we've gone on spring break with my in-laws to the very same place. And I said to Jamie, um, do you like coming back to the same place every year? And he's like, I do like it because it's just, like, I know what to expect and I'm going to have my fun. And, like, there's no kind of decision-making or anxiety about how it's all going to play out. It's very predictable. And I'm like that, too. I like familiarity quite a bit. But for some people, that would be nightmarish, like, the idea idea that you would go back to the same and there's not a lot going on there either so it's like there's not much happening um but for us that's okay because we like familiarity but for but and and, but you kind of if you know that then you could look at the situation and be like you know what this is going to make me crazy because this is too much familiarity and I'm a person who likes variety and novelty or like uh, rereading the same book. I love rereading books. Uh, I never reread books. See, that's interesting. You just, once you've read it, you feel like... Oh, yeah, I feel like I've read. I mean, rarely. Like, I think the pistachio prescription... Oh, I love that book. Like, I've read that maybe 10 times. Like, there's a few books that I've read for whatever reason, <laughs> many times, mostly young adult books. Yeah. Um, like, just the other day, I was thinking, maybe I should reread Gone with the Wind. Oh, my gosh, it's like, so good. Eh, I've read it. Why, why not? Go? That's too, it's going to take too long, you know? What about watching a TV show? Would you watch a TV show? Like, I know you loved the last episode of Mad Men. Would you watch that again? No, I rarely. I did actually rewatch the pilot of Mad Men the other day um, because I didn't remember it at all. Um, but I haven't rewatched the finale, although I rewatched the last like minute of the finale about 10 times Mm. because it was my favorite minute of television ever. Mm. But I, in general, like I won't go back and go, Oh, let me rewatch, you know, game of Thrones from the beginning or something. Right. Um, Right. I just, I feel like I should move on to something new. Like it seems like a waste of time, but why does this even matter? Well, I think it's a good question to know about yourself because if you know if you're more inclined to familiarity or variety, you can set things up in a way. And 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 I was thinking about this because I was talking to a journalist about habits because, you know, she was interviewing me about better than before. And as sometimes happens, and it's always my favorite thing when it happens, she started, she said, like, well, now can we talk about me and my habits and you can just, like, be my therapist? And I was like, yes, because that's my favorite thing to do. So she was saying how she wanted to work on the habit of having a healthy lunch. She often got fast food for lunch, and she wanted to have a healthy uh, lunch. And so she was going to bring lunch from home or have a healthy lunch. And she was saying, and, and one of the things I talk about in Better Than Before, which is how every decision that we make can drain us, and habits can be good because they eliminate decision making. And so... Um, And she was saying, well, because I should eliminate decision making, I should probably have the same lunch every single day, right? I should pick one healthy lunch and eat the same thing every day. And I said to her, well, no, I don't know about that because like I'm a person who basically does eat the same food every day and I like that. But for many people, they don't like that and they do much better. They need a lot of variety in their diet or they, you know, they start to not like it. And she goes, oh, I'm definitely somebody who needs a lot of variety in what I eat. And I was like, well, then don't set it up. And then you're kind of burdening the healthy choice with this kind of unnecessary aspect of being the same thing every day. So I was like, well, let's think. And she goes, but but then I have to make decisions. I was like, well, we can limit the decisions to something that's manageable. Like, let's pick two things that you could order that are healthy. You know, you could have this or you could have that from from like the, the takeout place that would be healthy choices. And she said, or I could bring in leftovers because a lot of times I'll have like something healthy for dinner the night before and I can bring in a leftover. And I was like, okay, well, that's great because that's no choice. That's just like, I'm going to eat for lunch, whatever I ate last night, but it's going to be changing because what you eat for dinner is changing. So there's no decision and yet there's variety. 
And then she she seemed so much more optimistic about her ability to stick to this new way of eating lunch because she felt like I have to be in this prison of eating, you know, right. Cobb salad every single day for the rest of my life or I'm going to be eating, you know, fast food, junk food. And I'm like, well, no, you can you can you can plug in variety you know, but you need to recognize that it's a value. And it's, yeah, and it kind of goes so I can see, like, if you're someone who likes fami familiarity, then don't think you want to go to a different exercise class every day. Right. Just get into your groove and do that and don't feel bad that you're not, you know, trying, um, you know, one of the, you know something new. Right. Whereas for somebody else, that could be a real value. Like, oh, I'm going to join this big gym that has tons of options so that I can have a lot of variety even though I'm exercising. Now, I will say this. From a research perspective, um, research definitely shows that people who do novel and challenging things are happier than people that do the same thing all the time. And this was a challenge for me when I was writing The Happiness Project because I thought, well, that's what the research shows. But I'm a person who loves familiarity and mastery, so I'm going to find out that's not true for me. Um, and that's why I started my blog um, to do mm. something novel and challenging. And I found that it was a huge source of happiness. Or like when we do um, every 10th episode, when we do a very special episode and we're shaking things up and it's, you know, it's a little bit unnerving because we're doing something new and challenging, but then it ends up being really fun. Yeah. So there is that aspect of novelty and challenge. But I do feel like in kind of everyday life, some people do take a, a great joy in familiarity that others don't feel. And I also think it matters what's going on in your life. Like I even noticed this morning, totally um, unconnected to, from this conversation, that because I'm in this intense work period, I am reverting back to wearing jeans, sneakers, and a hoodie and a white T-shirt. Mm -hmm. And that's like every day. And that's what I, that's my comfort. Yes. You know? Yes. Um, when I'm in a period that's less intensive, I might mix it up, but I want, if like things are chaotic around me, I want to like have my things that are familiar and safe and comfortable. Well, so here's something really interesting about the research. So some people assume that when you're under a lot of stress, you're automatically going to fall into bad habits. But what the research shows is that when you are under a lot of stress, you fall into habits, you embrace habits more intensely, whether they are good or bad. So they looked at students who are during exams. And what they found is like that students who usually like ate breakfast, ate breakfast more consistently. And that br students who usually didn't eat breakfast, didn't eat breakfast. Um, and it's sort of like, so if you're in the habit of eating healthfully, if you're under a lot of stress, you're going to go deeper into eating healthfully because that it's like, that's your hoodie and running shoes. Mm -hmm. That's the comfortable habit that's reassuring to you because it's so familiar. If you're in the habit of wearing, you know, uh, stilettos, you know, and like super tight <laughs> clothes, then you'll do that because that's your habit. So it's sort of like you go. So that's another reason to want to have good habits is because when you get into that need of wanting the comfort of habits, the familiarity of habits, you want to fall into a place that's constructive. It's funny. I just I'm such a familiarity lover that I just I'm always, I'm surprised often by how some people just really they always want variety as much as they can. Um, it's it's just important to recognize what you prefer. Gretchen, I bet this is an issue that uh, affects couples. Like yeah. you have if you have one person who likes familiarity and one person who likes variety, that could lead to major conflict. Yeah. So you and Jamie are both familiarity people. I think Adam and I probably tend toward familiarity, um, at least on big issues. I've had a lot of people are mixed too. It might be your one with vacations and another with food or one with books and another with 
travel. I don't know. But uh, it's interesting to think about, though. I mean, just in terms of knowing yeah. yourself better, it's, it's sort of an interesting thing to think about. Okay, Gretch, it is time for a listener question. Um, and before we dive in, I want to remind everyone that um, you can email us, but you can also leave us a voicemail question. And we love getting voicemails because there's just something about hearing our listeners' voices, which yeah. is incredibly satisfying. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so please do leave us a voicemail question. Uh, the number is 774 774- Two seven seven nine three three six, or easier to remember, seven seven happy three three six. Hopefully, this week we'll get lots of <laughs> voicemail questions. But this week, Gretchen, we have an email question, yeah, uh, which is from Emily, and we actually don't have an answer for this question, <laughs> um, but we think it's a good question. So here it is. I have a happiness problem of my own, online passwords. I find it impossible to remember them, particularly when every online entity requires their own special combination of letters, characters, etc. Some passwords are more important than others. Bank and Amazon passwords versus password for online shopping site I needed one time. It seems everything online now requires a password. The problem is I can never remember the passwords. I run through a cycle of setting up a password, not needing it for months, forgetting it, resetting it, repeat. You get the idea. Should I write down every password? This is a recipe for disaster. I'm prone to forget <laughs> where I've written passwords down. I'm writing you as I've had to reset my PayPal account for the nth time. I'm locked out of my account now and have currently been on hold for 40 minutes trying to access my account again. Help. So this, I mean, this is a question, the question of our time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, and it's definitely a question for me because I keep thinking there's got to be like some clever system that I, help, 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 what to do. I have no, we, I have nothing here and I desperately nothing. need the answer. Yes. Nothing. Because you don't want to put it in your phone. No. Because if your phone is taken, it could be, you know, people could find your passwords and it, the problem is when you, you know, say you have five passwords you use and you could say, well, I'll cycle through all of them. But a lot of places lock you out if you try too many times. Yes. So it's I think it's something that we all are just plagued by. Yes. Constantly. Well, and I think I bet there's some listener who's come up with some perfect solution that's like very clever and obvious once you hear it. So please. Yeah, I think we need some listener answers yes. on this one. Yes. And remember who you're dealing with here. It's got to be the lowest possible bar. So there's no like set up an algorithm <laughs> that, yes, you know, exactly. based on the number of letters in the end, you know, um, but I'm sure that's great. So people, people will solve this problem for us. Let's hope. Um, but Elizabeth, also, we got all these great um, responses to our lucky charms. Um, you know, in episode 59, we talked about why you might want to give yourself a lucky charm. Um, and why that's actually yes. uh, can be actually helpful, um, even though it's a superstition. And I just wanted to read you some of these great lucky charms that people told us about. Oh, good. Well, the first game, Kylie on Twitter um, pointed out something, I, which is the most obvious illusion that we sh I can't believe we didn't mention this in our discussion because we are both such Harry Potter fans. But of course, a great example of how a lucky charm can work even if it's not really anything that's changing anything, it's like the placebo effect, as you pointed out, is in Harry Potter when Harry gives Ron, he pretends to give Ron the Felix Felicis, 
potion. Mm. And then Ron's performance improves because he thinks he's taken the lucky charm. But of course, oh, Harry yes. didn't even give it to him. So that's a good example. I was like, oh my gosh, that's the most ex- obvious example of this principle. Um, so Kylie, thank you for reminding me. I always want to have an opportunity to talk about Harry Potter. Um, so Emma in the UK has a great one. Whenever she has a job interview, she wears her most amazing underwear. She says, obviously, <laughs> it's totally unseen by the interviewers, but it makes me feel awesome when I'm getting dressed. Um, it's a great confidence boost. So I thought that was a great one. If I had any good underwear, <laughs> I'd try that. Get some. Um, this one comes from Melissa, and uh, she's a law clerk like me, and um, her judge gave her um, gave his law clerks a watch as a Christmas gift, and it was a Mickey Mouse watch. And she wears her Mickey Mouse watch as her lucky charm. And the idea is that it's supposed to remind you that it's important to have a good sense of humor. And she's an appellate attorney. And so when she argues in the Seventh Circuit Court of Appeals, which is a very big deal, if you don't know um, your kind of law terms, that's like a very big argument in front of um, many judges. It's my lucky charm because it helps me stay calm and not get as nervous. Um, and Love that. Yeah, that's making, great. Yeah, not take yourself too seriously. And this lucky charm is great. It comes from Rosie from County Down in Northern Ireland. She says, my lucky charms are two doves. Um, When I'm stressed out or worried about something and I find myself looking out a window, by sheer coincidence, my line of sight will appear to alight on a pair of doves sitting on a branch of of a tree. This has been happening for years. I've noticed that in times of trouble, trouble, they appear and I take it as a sign that my guardian angels, my grandparents, are watching over me and that everything will be fine. And of course, it always is. I never actively seeking them out, but it does seem to happen whenever there's something going in life, going on in life that's worrying me. It always staggers me, gives me great comfort. That's a lovely thought. That is, I love that. Uh, here's a great one from Molly. Oh, and Elizabeth, she's from Kansas City. Mm, love that. Yeah, hometown. Um, so in 2007, she had a uterine. She was diagnosed with a uterine tumor. And as she was going through um, chemotherapy and feeling really down, she started wearing one of those yellow Live Strong bracelets that a friend gave her. And she uh, decided to wear it as a reminder to stay strong. And she's almost eight years cancer-free. Amazing. And the bracelet is still my lucky charm. I don't wear it every day, but I do when I need a reminder to keep my strength and push forward. So that's a great lucky well, charm. That's great. Um, and here's... a. a this comes from Megan, and she makes a really good point about Lucky Charms. Um, she says, I have a question about helping a child find a Lucky Charm. I worry that my kindergartner, who's incredibly sensitive, will be more anxious with a Lucky Charm. What if he can't find it, or what if he forgets it? What tips do you have for making a Lucky Charm more charming and less an essential security blanket? In some ways, I think it could help him, like on the first day of school. So I'm interested in how to make it work. I think that's a really good point to think about. Yeah, you don't want to get so attached to your lucky charm that it's like crippling not to have it with you. And I think for some people that happens. Well, for a kindergartner, I'd think you could say it's your lucky charm, but it's always your lucky charm, whether it's on you or not. Ooh, that's a good one. It's just the sort of overarching power yeah, right. of charm. Where, wherever it is in the world. Or maybe there's like a lucky gesture that they make or, you know, like a lucky ritual that's totally within their power. Like you're going to jump three times before you walk out the door and that's going to make you lucky or something like that because that way you don't have to ah. worry. But again, I do, I think when you have a, a, a child or a person who's maybe overly sensitive and might glom onto something too tightly, um, where it could maybe overmaster them. Maybe you don't want to unleash the power of superstition because 
you don't want somebody who's 45 years old and feels like he has to jump up and down three times before right. he crosses the, you know, crosses the threshold of his, like, you know, um, his law firm or something like that. Because uh, though I think a lot of baseball players do have these, like, weird, like, things that they go through in a very yeah. public way. But, um, but so anyway, I thought Megan was really wise to bring up a point that y- this should be a, a fun tool, but you don't want it to become something that, that um, could become a problem. You don't want it to be a crutch. Yes. Yes. So thank you for bringing that up. Again. And it was so fun. Keep keep setting them in. I, these are, this is just the tip of the iceberg. So fascinating. Many, this fasc- is making me want to have like a million lucky charms. I know. I know. The next time we're together, Elizabeth, we'll, we'll do some lucky charm related kind of highly structured outing or something like that. I don't know. We'll, make, we'll turn it into a, like a little adventure. That sounds good. LinkedIn isn't just a job board. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. On LinkedIn, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Hire professionals like a professional on LinkedIn. I now work with a team, and I am here to say that finding the right candidate and hiring the right candidate is one of the very biggest and most important challenges to anyone who has a small business. LinkedIn knows that small businesses are wearing so many hats and might not have the time or resources to hire. LinkedIn is constantly finding ways to make the process easier. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash Gretchen. That's linkedin.com slash Gretchen to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. Okay, demerits, gold stars. Elizabeth, you're up. What's your demerit? Well, Gretchen, this is a demerit I probably could have predicted the moment I knew I was going to be going to New York for five weeks. Um, You know, I have a lot of friends in New York and in the New York area because I lived there for nine years and a lot of my friends stayed. um, And these are really close friends who I have actually given myself demerits in the past for not seeing (laughs) enough of Um, so my demerit is not seeing my friends enough while I was in New York. Um, now I saw, you know, it's not that I didn't see any friends. I did see friends, some friends I saw multiple times, but I have two very close friends. Uh, I was in their wedding who I didn't see at all. Not one time, Dan and Jess, um, who are two of my favorite people in the world. One of my best friends, Jahan, I only saw twice. Um, another friend I only saw once, another friend I only saw once when I thought I'd be, you know, my plan was to see everyone multiple times. And one big thing I wanted to do was like go to their homes and Mm. see their, like go to my friend Jahan's apartment in Brooklyn. I've never been there and I've never been to my friend Karen's uh, place in Hastings on Hudson. And I was going to sort of just, you know, people like you to see their home. Yeah. And I was just, I didn't do it. I was so wiped out that I just didn't take that extra effort to do that. And I totally regret it because I know I would just feel so much more connected if I had done it. So that's that. I totally understand the feeling. I've, I have that sometimes when I'm on book tour and I'm like, oh, I'm in Boston. I have so many friends in Boston, but instead I, I stay home in the hotel room and watch HGTV, you know, right. um, because I'm so tired. And so I'm just thinking this through. I'm not even, I don't know if this is true, but 
uh, now you wanted to go to their house, but I mean, going to Hastings on Hudson, going out to Brooklyn when you were stationed kind of in Midtown, do you think you could have lowered the bar and said to them, I am such a wimp, I cannot leave the hotel, but if you if you can come to the hotel bar and meet me, I would love to see you. And then do you think that would have worked or do you think that would have seemed too demanding? Well, and I did do that, Yeah, by the way. I yeah. did do that. And that's when I saw people largely was in the hotel bar. Yeah, because you were, um, you were yeah. working incredibly hard. And I think people would understand that it's like you were working these incredibly long days out of your element. You know, I think people sometimes get it that it's easier for them to come to you. They're in their familiar setting and can kind of organize and you're like some I don't know do you think so that did well, work you know what the mistake I made though was mm. um is I should have when I knew I was going and I had the date I should have said okay Jahan I'm gonna come to your apartment Wednesday night because the first couple of weeks I was there we weren't shooting yet so our days were much shorter mm. and I could have planned a bunch of stuff and done it before we actually started shooting because that's when the days get mm. much much longer mm-hmm and but I was just sort of oh I'm here I'm acclimating yeah. I have so much time to see everyone it's no rush and I wish I'd used your strategy of scheduling from mm. the outset yeah um, because yes even though I did see people in the hotel bar I really wanted to you know yeah go to their environment as well right. but you know it is what it is at least I saw a bunch of people it was wonderful to see them it was like so rejuvenating to me the times I did have with these friends so um you know that yeah. was wonderful but I just wish I'd made more of an effort and done more of it well I, I think you point out this something that I I often encounter too which is like if you have a, a span of time like the summer or spring break you think there's so much time like I often do this with taking pictures like oh we're on spring break I should take a lot of pictures but the first couple of days I'm like oh we're going to be here for so long I don't need to worry about it now and then it's the last day and I'm like taking 45 pictures of everybody yes. like in the last 2 hours because you feel like you have so much time that you can you don't need to use it productively but then you run out because time passes faster than you think so now I'm I'm really trying to like pay attention to the beginning because like you say it would have been easier for you to do that advice. stuff at the beginning yeah it's it's it just feels hard to remember um, so, so Gretchen, now it's your turn. Uh, let's let's transition into your gold star. Okay. Well, this is a gold star I want to give to Dad. Um, and tell me if you if you noticed this from our childhood because this is definitely, you know, sometimes like you can pick up a parenting tip because you remember that it worked really well on you oh. as a kid. <laughs> and this was something that even as a child I was like, I really appreciate this um, about Dad's parenting style, and so mm-hmm. I've completely copied it with great success. Which is, so sometimes with little kids or even adults, um, you know, they're kind of complaining about something and they're like, oh, he scratched me. And they, they're holding out their arm and, you know, you're like, oh, it's a little red. It'll be fine. Or they're like, oh, my stomach hurts. And you're like, oh, well, you know, I'm sure it's nothing, you know, just like in a half an hour, it'll feel better. You sort of dismiss it. And one of the things I always appreciated about dad was that if you were complaining about something, he took it really seriously. Like he would, like if you said, oh, he scratched me, my arm hurts. He would like look at your arm and say like, I see that it's red. I see the mark right there. (laughs) Or like if you're like, oh, my stomach hurts. He'd be like, well, do you feel like you're sick or does it like a stabbing pain or like, (laughs) or like he'd press on your stomach and be like, well, does it hurt more if I press here or here? And, and, and I realized that like it was I just so appreciated that as a child like he's really he really gets it like I'm in pain here he's really taking it seriously and I've noticed that with my daughters that really helps and I think as an adult a lot of time this is again back to this principle that I just point to all the time which is acknowledge the reality of other people's feelings 
And then as when you say to your kids, like, oh, it's nothing. Oh, you'll be fine. Then they just get more and more enraged and like have to keep insisting that something hurts. And that's very tiresome. Right. But when you really re- recognize it, then a lot of times they can let go of it faster. So I'll say to my, like, I'll say to Eleanor, my daughter, like, well, do you think you need an Advil? Would it, would it, would it help to put a Band-Aid over it? Like, what if mm. I, you know, what if we put lotion on, you know, just like anything? Then, then they're like, no, I don't need that. That's okay. They just, I think a lot of times people just want recognition. And even, you know, Jamie recently had back surgery. And, uh, and like, he really wanted me to say things, you know, I could tell he really was gratified mm-hmm. when I was now let me look at the incision and how does this does, is this does this sore mm-hmm. how does this feel and you know do you think you need a band-aid and you know like just taking it seriously that's helpful because especially when we're in pain we want other people to recognize it yeah even on the gold star to dad front Gretch even now you know in our updates we'll often say well this is going on and it's stressful or yeah. this horrible thing happened at work and he always has a helpful comment about it like he'll acknowledge it and then he'll also often have some sort of philosophical bon mot about it like what oh, like what is that how you say that bon mot I think I, I can't even think of an example. But he'll be like, "Oh, it you know reminds me of the man who yeah. this happened to, or, or the, the Wichita he, girls." <laughs> you know, he always yeah, he always has um, just something reflective to say that's helpful. Or he will even just say like, "It sounds like there's so much going on," or "It sounds like it sounds stressful." Yeah, it's just like he's acknowledging. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So gold star for dad, because not only did I appreciate it as a child, it has given me an important tool to use as a parent. And that's it for this episode of Happier. Remember to try this at home. Uh, Stop apologizing and let us know what worked for you and also kind of your observations and insights around this whole issue because it feels like there's a lot going on there. Thank you to our producer, Henry Malofsky. Also thanks to Laura Mayer and Andy Bowers of Panoply. Get in touch. Gretchen's on Twitter at Gretchen Rubin, and I'm at Elizabeth Craft. Our email address is podcast at GretchenRubin.com. And remember to call in with those voicemail questions. And everyone, uh, for a lot of people in the world, Mother's Day is coming up, at least in the United States. It's coming up on May 8th. And uh, if you want to give one of my books to a mother in your life, um, I can send you a signed personalized book plate. Um, or if the mother that you're giving a gift to has ebooks or audiobooks, I can sign and personalize a signature card uh, for them to make a gift more special. Um, or you can get one for yourself. <laughs> um, you can email me, or if you go to the show notes, this is uh, happiercast.com slash 61, I'll post a link where you can sign up to request one. Now, unfortunately, I can do this only in the United States and Canada. Um, because of mailing costs, I'm I'm really sorry about that, but uh, I just can't I, I just can't afford to send them out all over the world. Um, and if you would like this for a Mother's Day gift, please do this pretty soon because it can take me a while. To, like because I actually have to do this and mail it back, and uh, and I wouldn't want to be late. Um, so uh, that's just an idea if you're thinking about giving a book for Mother's Day. Until next week, I'm Elizabeth Kraft, and I'm Gretchen Rubin. Thanks for joining us. Onward and upward. Betrayed me, George. I'm sorry. Oh, you can stuff your sorries in a sack, Mister. I don't know what that means. <laughs>